This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. I would love to put, put him on the same field with me, me and Gage Foy. You follow me? And see what I could do with them on the soccer field. Okay? <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> you know, but they're, they're all chicken out of that too because they're a bunch of wimps, all of them put together. Okay? Because if they, if they uh, were the man that they should have been, they would not have done what they did. That was the voice of Rocco Camiso, chairman of the New York Cosmo soccer team. If you are unaware, the Cosmos and the rest of the former NASL teams and a number of other lower division soccer teams have been fighting for survival here in American soccer's broken system. But they haven't been fighting where you would imagine a soccer team to be fighting, though. Not on the field. The Cosmos and many others have been fighting for survival in boardrooms and in courtrooms. Because USSF prefers to operate by holding meetings to concoct artificial standards, create numerous barriers to entry, and then hide behind their lawyers instead of just allowing American soccer to grow and flourish like it very easily could. This is the second time that I've had Rocco on the podcast, and some of what we talk about in this episode overlaps with previous conversations, but Rocco layers more information onto this story about the struggles that him and other lower division soccer teams have been experiencing over the course of 15 months. Now, Rocco's story starts in late 2016, so that's why I'm kind of just trying to frame this in the last 15 months or so. But those struggles have been ongoing for many, many years, and they have been instigated by people inside of U.S. soccer. How so? Well, U.S. soccer, the governing body recognized by FIFA, has attached itself at the hip with MLS via Soccer United Marketing. Now, this is an indisputable fact that most voices in American soccer media just seem to kick under the rug. But one thing Rocco talks about in this interview and multiple other times, I've heard Rocco say this multiple times, is that he has no problem with USSF being the governing body. He just wants them to be independent and fair. He doesn't want pity or mercy or favors. He simply wants to field a team that can be judged by their sporting merit, not by their time zone. And another thing that Rocco told me is that he is always willing to talk if anyone wants to hear this side of the story, because it is this side of the story that is almost always ignored. So what you are about to hear is an unfiltered interview with Rocco Camiso about what it's like to be standing on the outside of the USSF circle, looking and wanting in. And I just want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the 343 Coaching Education Program, and it is that coaching education program that actually funds this podcast. So if you are a member of the 343 Coaching Education Program, not only are you getting an education that transforms you into a far better coach from the guys who have gone through with that transformation themselves, and are now considered among the top in the country, but you are also helping to sustain and develop this podcast and to help stories like Rocco's and the New York Cosmos get told. If you are not a member and you are wondering what a 343 membership can offer you, it is the complete online resource that will help you reduce your trial and error time and help you get right to the work that matters. You learn the cutting edge training techniques that have been proven to develop better and smarter players, better and smarter teams, and better and smarter coaches. The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you insider access to exclusive videos of training sessions and full games with additional education from ebooks, audio interviews, question and answer sessions, and the online forums for networking and collaboration with other coaching members. To learn more and to explore all of the benefits of becoming a 343 Coaching Education member and to help support this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 3, 4, and 3, coaching, all spelled out, .com. All right, I hope you're ready for it, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Rocco Camiso. Uh, 
No, we're 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 on. So uh let's see. I'll make a note right here that we're starting at five okay, eleven thirty-three. All right. You ready? Ready. Okay, so we're on. All right, Rocco. Welcome uh welcome back to the three four three podcast. This is your second time on the show and I'm I'm super excited to have you back. Well, thank you, John. I remember friends real well, right? You were in the court proceedings um, back in October, if I remember correctly, late October. And uh, you know, I just can't forget the fact that you took time to come to New York to see what that was going on in the state of New, you know, in, in the court systems in New York. So time has passed. We had another get together, I believe, sometime, I don't know, December, January. So it's my second podcast with you, and I really enjoy talking to you. Of course, man, and I, we we have a we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of stuff that's happened between December and and we're talking now in in the end of March of 2018. So a lot has happened in that three to four month time span, and I, I want to get into it. Um, one of one of the things I want to start off with is an article that was released by Forbes. And it kind of it, it talks more about your your business and your experience in in the media world, and not so much on the, on the soccer side of things. But the, those two worlds definitely collide for you. And there's a there's a big thing that I think is important to point out is that you're you're the only person on that Forbes 400 list that has any type of soccer experience. Um, and, and that's I'm talking about playing experience as well, um, plus your your ownership with New York Cosmos. So that that article is a great article. It's it's a good way to kind of get to know a, a different side of you as well. I'm curious what what your take on the article was, and and what significant or what is the most significant part of that article to you? I guess. <laughs> well, look, I started playing, you know, with a ball of rags. And look where I am today. So everything is possible in America if you get the right breaks and you're willing to work hard. And I've been very lucky when it comes to that. You know, good parentage, good wife, good family, and uh, a willingness to work hard. But going back to the soccer thing, uh, I didn't notice, you know, until Forbes published that I'm the only guy with a soccer lineage in the Forbes 400. But just as important as the fact, I think I'm the only one that owns uh, a major soccer team that has extensive soccer background in, in the U.S. Uh, certainly here in New York, uh, we have the Red Bull owner that lives in Austria and the Sheik from uh, Abu Dhabi that owns New York City FC. I don't think they, had, they, they either played soccer you know, in their youth or in any teams, certainly not in college. And probably the same thing uh, with respect to everybody else in America, you know, that's involved in professional soccer. So it, it's amazing that I'm in the situation that I'm in when I bring knowledge of the game and wealth, you know, uh, to invest. And uh, these guys have done everything they can to, de- to destroy my team, my league, and put me out of business. Yeah, one of the things we actually just, we talked about just a second ago before we started recording, and I mentioned it to you, that it's pretty amazing to me that somebody with a soccer background such as yours or like yours and a business background like yours, you would think that somebody, you would think that USS or USSF would just roll out a red carpet and welcome somebody with your experience in the door, but they've basically slammed the door in your face and and i'm sure you could you could tell a, a number of different stories about that but when i i guess how how do you go about this now that you've filed the lawsuit and and nesl is kind of like in this limbo spot again and how, how do you how do you just keep beating down or beating at the door what that's a terrible way to ask that question. Well, but. We, we, first of all, you know, we think there's merits to the lawsuits. I think, you know, and it's public information by now, right, that, you know, they kicked us out essentially on September 1st no, with no way uh, and no opportunity to cure whatever deficiency we may have had. Um, at the court hearing, I think you remember, we presented to the court back in October 
fact that we had six teams standing by to want to join our league so we could cure whatever deficiency we have with respect to the minimum teams and and uh, you know what time uh, time time uh, what do you, whatever you call it in the nation you know the you know the time the, zones to, to locate right and uh, and they did not give us that opportunity to sit down and fix that up and then we find out in January uh, 16th or 18th, I think it was, that the USL was not only were giving multiple, multiple waivers, uh, but also a two-year runway to get it to full compliance. That's the essence, you know, of why we have these lawsuits. Why did you treat two competing leagues differently, and why did you do what you did? Um, we think we know why. We think... Uh, you know, I present to them a huge uh, risk, a huge threat, yeah, especially in the New York market. You know, they know better than anybody else, you know, that uh, I have a reputation. I have lineage. I am a Bronx guy, a city boy uh, that built his family and worked his whole life in the metropolitan area. And, uh, and they can't then to have people like that. They'd rather deal with the guy from Abu Dhabi, the guy from Austria in the New York market, than people like me. So, so that's, that's in essence reasons why I think they did what they did. And, uh, but thank God it's a court system. We lost the appeals uh, to get the injunction. Because we did not get the injunction, we had to uh, stop playing uh, our eight teams uh, in 2018, but as I said uh, three or four months ago, the lawsuits will continue, and surely we're going to be on the discovery phase. I'm sure that before then, uh, they're going to try to, you know, dismiss the lawsuits. Uh, we think we have, you know, we have a strong case, and I don't think they're going to win it. And uh, so the lawsuits will go on. Uh, the discovery phase will begin, and all the stuff that we claim in the lawsuits that they have done towards going to come out uh, and then ultimately be heard in the courthouse. Now, that's going to have significant implications to the state of soccer in America, and that's really the reason why we're doing it. We don't think, John, that the USSF, unlike any other country in the world, right, should interpose themselves in determining who the winners and losers should be. I've said it multiple times, I'll accept the USSF as the, as an in, you know as a regulatory body only to the extent that they're independent. You cannot have the USSR as financial linkages to MLS and put themselves in a position that they're my regulatory agency. I said it multiple times, and I continue. I'm feeling that that's the only way that they these guys at the USS will have a role in the profession should have a role in the professional game. Can you can you tell people about that? linkage between MLS and, and some of the other business ventures they have that are to, I think most people would consider that a conflict of interest, but in, in the court of law, you have to prove it in a certain way. But I, I think most people would, would understand it as, as a conflict of interest. So can you talk a little bit about well, what, right. what that might so be? Going back, you know, going back to 20 years ago, there's public statements made by Rothenberg, Galati and so on, you know, that that's their mission. They felt that their mission to make sure you know, that the MLS succeeds. So let's start with that, right? So from the very, very beginning, they put themselves up front, says we're there to protect the success uh, and you know of MLS and to make sure that MLS will always be, at the end of the day, a Division One league. They promulgated rules related to that, you know, but waived those rules, you know, conveniently when they needed to. For many years, for 15 years, a number of MLS teams, you know, were owned by different, you know, the same owners. So there was a point in time when Anschutz, Kraft, and Lamar Hunt essentially owned, and the guy in New York there, in, in New York, uh, Subotnik, uh, Met uh, Metro Media, you know, they, they essentially owned uh, all the teams in the MLS. Um, and today, uh, you know, that it's not permissible. Two, uh, in 2003, they signed this deal where they pulled the USSF, USSF assets 
and the MLS assets to go out and get a television deal done. Um, so for many years, um, the USSF has had a not non-bid contract when they sell their rights, the promotion rights, the, the sponsorship rights, and the TV rights, where it's not going to a third bidder. They, they have not permitted anyone to bid out that product. And it's gotten to the level that today, the USSF, while they get annual income from the SOM relationship, the USSF owns zero SOM, and all the MLS owners own 100% of SOM. And based on what took place last year, where private equity firm was taken out uh, at a valuation of about $2 billion, so we have the MLS enjoying the value of SOM, which is on a per team basis, it's valued at $100 million, call it $2.2 billion today. And the USSF that's giving these assets, they're owned by everyone like us, right? The national teams, women and men, you know, for them to be for the benefit of the MLS. And that's not right. I mean, because the USSF is an organization for all, not just for one. And that's where the issues are. There's huge conflicts, and we'll get into that, you know, as to what happened to the voting in, in, in Orlando. Huge, huge conflicts between the MLS and the USSF that's distorted, if you will, the game for the rest of us, amateurs and professionals. Yeah, let's let's talk about Orlando and, and your experience down there. I, I actually was unaware that, that you were in the building when that was happening, uh, but I talked with were another. Were you there? I, I was not, no, but I talked with somebody that, that said that he had a long conversation with you. So I talked with Kartik. Um, a right. few weeks ago, and, and Kartik said he sat with you for for quite a while, and and had a good conversation with you, and and got to know got to know you on a different level. So I was actually kind of jealous that that he was able to do that. But what what was it like being down there in, in Orlando? And and well, I was it, stupefied. I was get, I was getting reports that things were going well. You know, we were supporting Eric Winalda and and to a lesser extent, uh, um, Hope Solo, right? But we were I was stupefied as to what happened there. You know, I, I didn't realize that the power that I always assumed they had, that they will deploy the way they did. So let, let's get into that. So uh, be, around the same time that that was taking place, a vote was taken where uh, the USSF, uh, I'm sorry, the Pro Council, which accounts for about 25% of the votes, uh, where the powers was, Regiven, if you will, if that's the right word to be used to the MLS. So I, that 25% is control, is, you know, we wanted to have the same voting rights for each league, but given who are the leagues and who owns the, who own the leagues, the USL, the Women's League, um, which is owned principally by MLS owners. And the MLS, they, they accumulated for themselves the power to decide who, 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 who should be the president of the USSF. So they essentially uh, had two candidates, and they could not go wrong. I did not know that. I thought they were different, these two guys, Cordero and, and Carter. But not until I got there that I realized what was happening. So you had the pro-council where uh, 95% of the votes uh, of the pro council, and that constituted 25% of the overall vote. So, uh, 24 votes were essentially in the ends of Garber and the MLS, uh, because, you know, the USL and, and the women's league voted along with the MLS. Um, then you had the athletes council that owned and controlled another 20%. And over an extended period of time, um, uh, the athletes, who, benefit, who are, most of them are beneficiaries of the largesse of the USSF and, 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 and the MLS by being announcers, uh, commentators. Uh, they do all kinds of um, in-person, uh, they make in-person money by attending games or whatever the hell they do, right? Yeah, they decided they're going to vote as a block. And, and the only two candidates that they considered was Carter and Cordero. 
So as we, as we got into the first round, it was apparent that the 37%, the Carter, and the 37% uh, that, that Cordero had assimilated, you know, came largely from the 44, 45%, yeah, you know, that the combination of pro council and 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 the and and, and the average council control, and then in the third round, if you know, the votes were swung uh, from Carter to Cordero, and that's what provided Cordero with the win. So coming out of this thing, there's no way to break this this uh, this situation. There's, there's no way, yeah, you know, the way this thing is is set up that an outsider like an Eric Rinaldo or anyone else for that matter could come in and, and, and change the world the way the world should be changed. Because if, if they have been successful in their mission, you know, it's one thing, but they're a failure. You know, they don't like to hear this, but I'm going to say it again. I mean, in 90 years from 1931 to 2021, because we're a mess now, 2018, we have won a grand total of six World Cup games. Since the MLS came in, you know, which is almost 20 years. Uh, if we take it from 2003 uh, to 2021, what is that number, John? 18 years. We want a total, a grand total of two games in World Cup competition. We did not make the 2018. We're a total, total disaster with respect to the man's team. Yeah, we're going to go and play in Steve Malik Stadium tonight, and we'll talk about that, right, with Uruguay. Uh, I'm sorry, with Paraguay. But what the hell have we accomplished as a soccer nation in the last 25 years? I think people ranks us the 25th. Do we deserve, you know, a nation as big as we are with the economic power that we have, uh, with the people like myself, predisposed to invest, do we deserve, after 100 years in FIFA, to be ranked 25th? I mean, we're ranked worse than teams that, like Croatia, did not have a team 50 years ago. Yeah. Our first World Cup was 1998. <laughs> and you did very well, right, in 2002, I think, right? 98 or 2002? 98, we took third. Wow. Yeah, first-timers, not bad. First time as you would make so well, we just as well as the U.S. did in 1930, right? But at least you're playing in Russia this year, right? What the hell yep. we're doing this year? Yep, sitting at home, feet up on the couch. Hey, yep. hey, Rocco, I, I wanted to ask you. So it sounded like you had a little bit of optimism going into the morning of the vote, and I'm curious what your feelings were as soon as you saw the final tally, and then Sunil was up on stage introducing Carlos Cordero. What? How, how did your mind shift at that point, or what did you? Well, it was pretty depressing. Look, not, not, yeah, not so much for me, John, but you know, for people like Hope and you know, Narek Ronaldo. I mean, here, here we are, and, and there's something sickening with this system. Right? Here we are. We have four great athletes. You know, uh, Hope Solo, Eric Ronaldo, Carlo Jury, and Carl Martino. You would think that the athletes would vote for one of those. So the athletes, you know, personalize this thing to what's better for their pocketbooks as opposed to what's better for whom they represent. Uh, we had an athlete um, in the council that basically did then know that at the end of the day, he also represented players in NSL that may not have a job. So uh, the whole system is warped with incentives, you know, given to people that play by the MLS rules because they make money out of the MLS. And that's wrong. It, it's totally wrong. Um, that a person like Hope, who's been a stellar performer uh, or in the national team, or a person like Eric or Kyle, for that matter, should not be given you know, consideration that they voted as a block. But what's so special? And, and the other thing is that the power is really more than 44%. Because with respect to the pro council, whether one person shows up or tw 20 people show up, they still get 20%. You follow me? Yeah. So if I, one person shows up, he gets to vote for 20%. Um, all, the whole 20%. If, if 10 people show up, they each get to vote 2%. You, 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 you follow me? Yeah. So you, only, you only have to have one athlete show up and he votes for 20%. With respect to the MLS, they were all there. 
But you can't say the same thing for the youth council and for the adult council. Not everybody was there. So consequently, um, you know, when you're already starting out with 44% of the maximum votes and then the votes get reduced because some people don't show up, you already have more than 51%. And I, I just don't think it's right. It's fair. It's certainly not the way. I can't speak for other countries, frankly. But it's certainly not the way it's done in Italy. In Italy, the, 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 the Serie A does not have disproportionate power within the, you know, the league, not the league, but you know, the USSF organization in Italy uh, in relation to, to the other leagues. No, that doesn't exist. Um, but it exists here in this country. And, and the MLS has accumulated that power to themselves largely because for many, many years, you know, Galati was in charge during the same time he was also working for Robert Kraft. So they they developed a system for themselves, and that's basically what needs to change in this country if we're going to have uh, a better future. The the last time we talked, you you mentioned that you sat out, or I think you actually sat outside of a, of a room and you were waiting for a, a meeting to start. And I think it was actually the meeting where you guys found out that you guys were going to be desanctioned. And, and Sunil Galati was maybe the person to break the news to you guys. But I'm, I'm curious that since that time in September and then up until, I guess, the AGM in, in February, what what, or if any... Uh, have you have you had any conversations with Sunil or or Don Garber since those since those days? And if so, what? Yeah, what we, those we had entailed? conversations. We had conversations. You know, settlement discussions is called, uh, which at the end went nowhere, John. And um, yeah, let me just say that I'm not allowed to talk about them. All right, from a legal standpoint. Of course. All right, because both under, you know, both the USSF and us are on the blazing to not talk about that all right of course um, but but we had those discussions but essentially they went nowhere you know that made sense uh for us yeah hey i'm i i guess i'm more interested in when you were in orlando and everybody's kind of buzzing around the rooms and i know there was lots of conversations happening at that at that time were there conversations had in, in orlando between you and anybody from the mls side or ussf side maybe not no. not specific no, to no no no, no. No, the most recent conversation, John, was I was part of this committee uh, or the voting that took place the other day as to whether, you know, how the pro council is going to be, uh, who's going to be the members in the pro council. Uh -huh. And once again, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm a loser. So I was headed by uh, Garber uh, and Garber in his infinite uh, ways of managing things proposed this guy steve malik uh for another year um steve malik as you know is an owner of a women's team and it's also now part of the usl where up until september he was part of nsl and tonight by the way the the paraguay game has been held at a stadium right so ever since this guy did his job on us Right, and that's where all the, all the problems started, right? He, he, you know, he's received a number of payoffs, uh, you know, from from um, from our great uh, MLS uh, USSF. He's had, um, you know, two women's team uh, playing there. Um, uh, I should say, between 2018, they just announced that another woman national game is going to be played there, and he's having a men's game played at the stadium. So. That's how, you know, they take care of themselves, right? You take care of me and I'll take care of you. You, you, you follow me, you, you do, you know. He's also, uh, after I came in to save the league and save the Cosmos, uh, he also uh, applied to be an MLS, for an MLS franchise. Uh, he also was put on the board immediately thereafter. He also did everything he can to make sure that we don't grow the league. And he also did everything he could um, to, uh, you know, to uh, destroy our league uh, indirectly. Um, so all that stuff's going to come out in the lawsuit, I'm sure. And uh, but the facts are the facts, and the facts are that this guy is now playing in the USL along with Indy, 
and we're not playing. I'm I'm super curious what happens to your voice now that NASL is in basically on a hiatus and, and uh, you know for an undetermined amount of time. What happens to the voice of New York Cosmos and Jacksonville Armada and and the people that were part of NASL? Do you guys just you guys aren't part of the conversation anymore? It sounds like you tried to. Oh, absolutely. You, I mean, we just had another meeting today on the Open Cup committee. You know, they made this great decision to uh, to to not let us play. So uh, I thought I thought you were going to. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they made a great decision to let you guys play, but this is the opposite. So they're they're <laughs> they're, hold, they're holding strong on that then. Yeah, no, no, no. They're holding strong until I sent the letter. So last week I sent a letter. A week, two weeks ago, whenever it was. Let me get the letter. Uh, I think I sent it out on on March fifteenth, and now they're meeting as we speak to decide whether they're going to let us in or not. And wow. clearly, uh, there's repercussions if they don't, because. Uh, how could you not let, you know, the New York Cosmos, what its history, the word defunct, uh, you know, by because uh, San Francisco is not playing this year. In fact, we're, we're the champions, right? Uh, we won the championship game in San Francisco. And uh, and as I told these guys just about an hour ago, is how could you possibly even think that you could keep us out, given the history of the Cosmos, the fact that, you know, there's no other team, you know, in the country uh, that has what we have, frankly. You know, the, the, the history, the records, we're one more championship than any other team in America, professional team in America. And the fact that uh, in the last outings in the Open Cup, we have a better record when we played against the Red Bulls. And, and, and New York City FC. In the meantime, they're permitting the Red Bulls to have two teams. They're permitting uh, the USL to fill more teams with the PDL. And they're permitting, um, and they're permitting um, teams that never played before to play. Right? So what rights does a Nashville or uh, what's the other teams that did not play last year? Las Vegas. So Fresno, LFC, what rights do they have in 2018? Um, you know, it should come because of, you know, guild marriage, right? That's the way it's played in Croatia, I think, John, right? Yeah, yep. most, most of the world should be based on what, what have you accomplished to earn what you do. But so they, they're giving them an automatic entry for new teams like Nashville and LAFC and Las Vegas and Fresno, where the Casa has been around. You know, since the 70s, you know, they said, screw you guys, you know, uh, you're not important, and we're going to penalize you again because who are you? So we're fighting that, you know, and we'll see what happens. I don't know what the answer is as we speak, all right, because they're meeting after I left the meeting about an hour ago. Who Who is that in the meeting? Is, it, is that the pro council again? Uh Yes. No, not really. No, it's a different committee. Uh, I forgot most of their names, frankly. Um, but it's a committee headed by a guy named Edwards. Yeah, but the MLS is involved. The USL is involved, and uh, and we're involved. The NSL is involved. So we'll we'll see uh, we'll see what happens. I want I want to go back to the pro council and, and how that kind of played out, or or your thoughts on that, because. It sounds like you and Rishi and and others are still trying to stay involved with the conversation. But now, Garber is uh, was he was he elected to another term too? Was that what happened, or was it just Malik? Yeah, he elected himself. That's the way they do things. So Garber's been there now for twenty five years. They never really had an NSL person there. Garber decides who the who the member of the board should be, and then the people vote. But since they control the vote, they vote for themselves. So they're very good at that, by the way, John. They, they know how to vote for themselves extremely well. Um, you know, I think they learned those manners, you know, as they came up through the ranks because they don't know how to do it in, in, in the field of, the, of merits, what I call fair competition. So they got to find a different way of doing it to take care of themselves. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting you bring that up because that's exactly how Carlos Cordero was introduced in what, what 2006 I think he was just I think Sunil Gulati got on stage and said hey this is Carlos here here he is let's vote him in and everybody's like okay and they vote just voted him in so there was no competition right, at right. all so 
fired. He, he did not have a job at that time, I guess. I don't know if he got fired or he just quit. Well, whatever it is, but he made some money. So he, he's been there since 2006, 2007. Um, you know, my understanding that Blay, he was, you know, he was a friend or banker to Chuck Blazer. And, um, and, and another one of the beauties, uh, John, were is a guy that never played soccer, did not know that a soccer ball was round until very recently, right? And there's a long line of those type of people that run that run our organization, from Rothenberg to Galat to Jeff Blazer, you know, to Garber and now Cordero. Uh, and it's shameful. And people that know something about soccer, that have soccer in their blood, that might have, that play and they have money to invest, they're saying, we don't need you guys because, you know, you know, we're, this is our thing. You know, this is not yours, yours. This is ours. So they, they feel very strongly, um, you know, they said it to my face, you know, this is our thing. You know, this is ours. We put it together. You know, they, they don't recognize, for instance, uh, that soccer in America, uh, you know, got started here, but the very immigrants, uh, today the immigrants are different, but yesterday there were the Germans and the Greeks and the Italians and the Croatians, right? They came a hundred years ago and started soccer in this country. Now, soccer, according to these people, started with the MLS. Yeah, that's always interesting that you talk to anybody, I mean, that's kind of been involved for the last 20 to 25 years, they always kind of talk about the 1994 World Cup and then 1996 when MLS kicked off. Like like nothing existed before before those two events in the United States. It's like that's absurd. And they throw out so much history from from U.S. soccer and they, they do that to put themselves on an, a very unwarranted pedestal, in my opinion, which is it's it's disheartening. Yeah, but but they also know the facts, right? So what what are the facts? The facts are there were the fourth watch league in America, right? So the EPL, La Liga, and Liga MX are more watched on TV than the MLS. Two, you know the TV rights that they got from you know from um, Fox, Univision, and, and ESPN are nothing. Now, we were talking about it before. Here's the football league. You know, the form one game on Thursday nights, they're getting $60 million a game. And the entire MLS for the entire year barely gets $60 million because the other $30 million is, frankly, at the very least, you know, all as a result of the national teams, right? Uh, three, um, you know, they're, they're having some major public relations issues. Um, uh, this thing with Columbus, it's a no-no in the soccer world. You know that, right? You don't take a team from Milan and move it to Rome. That's not the way it's done, you know, in the world of soccer. Um, and that's causing them a lot of pains, and it's causing them uh, problems with the fact that they haven't made the decision for the 23rd, 24th, 25th team, whatever teams they're up to now, right? And... Uh, and and they're recognizing also, at least the American public has recognized, it's a phony league. You know, how could you have, according to Garber, uh, you know, 31 players in the MLS are going to the World Cup and the team continues on playing? They're not playing in Italy. They're not playing in Croatia. They're not playing in England. Yeah, but they we're playing in America. What kind of a league is that when your best players are not playing in the league? Yeah, it's, it's uh, the attendance is the, the attendance is pitiful. Um, I saw the game on TV just for five minutes to check it out, what's going on up in Boston. You know, this is New York City uh, playing Boston, which would be a huge rivalry. I think, I don't think, you know, they announced 12,000. I don't think they have more than 6,000 in the stands. But whether it's 6,000 or 12,000, you know, how, how could you rationalize that after 23 years, you rubber crap, you know? One, you have a, such an ugly stadium because they're playing on turf, and that's a football stadium. And, and two, that you draw as, as bad as you did, you know? What's the rationalization after 23 years? So they may have to move not just uh, Columbus, you know, if you believe in their metrics, they have to move Philadelphia, they have to move Chicago, uh, the Revolution, Dallas, you know, they got, they got a, quite a few teams to move. Uh, the other thing, this all baloney about, you know, building inner city stadiums, right, like in Portland, you know, it's not happening. You know, they still haven't found a stadium in New York City. 
uh, uh, Boston has been trying to build a stadium for two decades, haven't built one. Uh, the guys in Austin now, it's outside the core market, the inner city, and so on and so on. And uh, so they, they got some huge uh, public relations problems uh, that they need to deal with. And we'll see what happens. And they got the lawsuits. They got uh, my ire. They got my uh, willingness uh, to invest money to get to a certain end uh, in the courts. You know, because we're not taking this thing flying down. Rocco, I, I'm sure you've, you've seen the picture. And, and if you haven't, I, I'd be really surprised. But what was your reaction or when, when you saw it, if you saw it, when the, the Cosmo Stadium plans and pictures got, got put into the World Cup bid packet? Did you see that? Well, they took them out. I didn't see them, frankly. But then it was on Twitter, which is probably when you saw them, right? Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's incredible, right, that they, would use, that they would use the Cosmo Stadium pictures to put a proposal up for the world. <laughs> For the World Cup. <laughs> oh, it's a joke. The same organization, you know, they shut me down. Um, I mean, there are jokers at, at the end of the day. I mean, these are not <laughs> the smartest people in the world, you know. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, whether it's uh, Gulati or Cordero or Steve Malik, uh, who are the other geniuses that we have in this organization, you know. <laughs> You know, they're two by four businessmen, you know, they look, I mean, I have a company, you know, that with $1.9 billion of revenues, I have uh, 84 straight quarters of year over year revenue increase, right? And by the way, uh, I don't know if you were, no, you were not in Orlando. I don't know if you remember at the end of the meeting, they said when somebody asked the question, you know, when do you plan to report your numbers? Uh, I says I don't know if you remember that. It says well, we're late this year because of the Copa America and so on. You know, but we expect them to file them within thirty to forty-five days. Do you remember that question mark by the gentleman that got up to ask the question, John? I, I absolutely do. Okay. Do you know today's the forty-fifth day and they still haven't filed? I'm not surprised. One so bit. here's an organization that is quarter whose fiscal year end ends on three thirty-one. You know, we are given as a public company that files documents with the Secure and Exchange Commission, we are given 70 days to file. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> we're in a lot of mess, big mess, right? And we never missed one in the last 20 years. And trust me, we have had so many things going on, acquisitions, dispositions, financing, and so on, that I could have had 10,000 reasons why not to file on time. Never missed a filing deadline. And then there's this puny little two-by-four organization where they have 150 people working in Chicago, and they cannot even file their statements within 100, uh, uh, 360 days after they promised the world that they would file their statements in Orlando within 30 to 45 days. So, look, I, I think there's something that they have to hide, and some other stuff may come out in, in, in the next week or two, right? Uh, and, but I think what they know for sure, you know, that Rocco's not going to stop. You know, it, it's as simple as that, you know. Yeah, I'm not I going to get, uh, you know, I'm going to go through the court system, you know, and uh, I don't care how long it takes, as far as Rock was concerned, you know, and make sure that uh, somebody in the courts will address my uh, my compliance. I, I want to point out one thing before before I ask the last question, because you and I, we talked for like just three, four minutes before we before we hit record. And you mentioned that you want to be able to catch the a, a little bit of the Italy-England game. And so that just that's kind of a testament to that you're, you're you're actually a soccer guy like you you're you're genuinely you're genuinely a soccer person and this isn't just just an act and and so i guess look for... i played when i was young i think you know my story right john a wasn't little bit for yeah soccer, not, I, if I, I if i wasn't for soccer i would not have gotten into columbia i went to columbia with full scholarships um and i was the co-captain of the team and we had a all ivy invited to the olympics um did not make it. Uh, wasn't good enough, frankly. Uh, and uh, and then you know I played semi-pro for a little while. Started an over thirty uh, league when I was thirty. 
coach for 15 years at the youth level. You've been a huge contributor of Columbia soccer, women and men, for the last 50 years. And uh, and this was my time to give back. And look what I got in result. You know, I, here, here we are moving to give back something back to the game because of what the game has done to me and look what they've done to me. So what's what's next for you then, Rocco? What how how do you either stay involved or or keep pushing forward on your lawsuits or bring back New York Cosmos with the B teams? Like what what what's the next steps for you? Well, the B team's going to be playing. The academy's still playing, uh, as I said it to everyone, including my fans, and I owe a lot to them. Frankly, I, I really don't know what's going to happen with certainty next year, right? Uh, other than the continuation of the lawsuits. Um, yeah, as I also said, it takes two to tango or two, right? So it requires, you know, the other side, you know, to come to me and say, all right, uh, maybe there's a way of, you know, fixing this problem up, right? But it's up to them if they want to do it. I'm not there to ask for pity, mercy, or favors, okay? Uh, because I think I got the law on my side and I got the right on my side. Okay, um, you know, the reason why I'm doing this. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens little by little, right? I will let you know, frankly, uh, in a couple of months, you know, I will have more answers for you in a couple of months when we'll have the next podcast than I do today. But for now, the B team will play. Hopefully they'll let us play in the Open Cup. The Academy will continue. And then over the next two months, me, together with some other teams, uh, the other teams in the NSL will develop a, a plan for 2019. That's good to hear, man. Is, is, is there anything specific that maybe we didn't cover that you want to make sure that, that listeners know or that they can keep track of over the next few months while things are developing? Well, they, they, they could easily keep track of me, man, because I'm not going to stop talking. <laughs> I mean, good. Uh, when, when's the last time you had the podcast or anybody had a podcast with any owners uh, in professional soccer? Yeah, they're they're right? radio silence, man. Yeah, they they don't talk these guys, right? They got Barbara that does the dirty work for them, or Alec Papadakis, or you know Edwards at the USL, you know. But I um, I don't have any problems talking because I don't have anything to be ashamed of. Rocco, right? you know, and you I don't know, you know Real quick, one thing that's very interesting to me was that somebody mentioned to somebody that, that covers soccer, I think it's in North Carolina. That's where Malik's team is, right? North right. Carolina? Okay, so somebody mentioned to me just to keep an eye on how much harder it's going to be to get any type of media requests out of Malik's organizations now that he's more involved with USSF. And then I talked with another reporter from North Carolina the other day who confirmed it. He said, yeah, before we used to have basically open access to anything we wanted. And now it's closed doors. It's, it's like pulling teeth to get, to get an interview with anybody in, in his organization. So it's, it's, it's alarming. Well, let them mind, you know, they're good at hiding. I mean, I think the word that I have for some of these guys, I don't know who's a MIA or a POW. You know, I think Cordero, for instance, is a POW, right? And an MIA at the same time. POW because, you know, Garber tells him what to do, and MIA because he's not willing to speak up the way he should and be as transparent as he says he would be, right? So have you heard from Cordero recently? Not at all. Not at all. And I was actually going to ask you if you have. The, yeah, no, I haven't spoken to him. But the only thing he talks about is, the, you know, the 26th World Cup, Right. Yeah, you haven't seen them address all these other issues that are coming up that are affecting everyone, me and everybody else. So that's the kind of leadership that we put. Uh, and he's fearful. If I was in his shoes, I would be fearful too. As a guy that doesn't, you know, doesn't, that, any, that he claims to know nothing about soccer. What the hell is he going to say? What is he going to talk about, you know, strategies on the field? Um, so, they, look, what they have, they're very good at, and I give them credit for it. they got very good lawyers, and that's what got them through the message. They, they could easily have gotten into if it wasn't for the lawyers, all right? So lawyers, they're very good at that. You know, when it comes to taking care of the soccer nation, they failed us miserably. I agree 100%, and I'm, I'm looking forward to keeping tabs on everything that happens, and I think everybody else's as well, because... I've, I've said it before that I'm super thankful for somebody like you that's coming in and willing to go to war on behalf of 
pretty much everybody else in, in United States soccer that isn't represented by that MLS crowd or the USL crowd. So you're, you're fighting our, on our behalf and I couldn't, I could not be more thankful for you, Rocco. I, I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. So if they were two soccer people, right, they would say, let's, let's, uh, you know, in the old days, they used to have duels, right? <laughs> uh, here we, we could do it for a soccer match. Okay. And, you know, and the man, I'm 68 years old, but I would love to put Galati, Cordero, and Garber. I don't know if Rothenberg is still alive or not, right? I would love to put, put them on the same field with me, me and Gage Foy. You follow me? And see what I could do with them on the soccer field, okay? <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> you know, but they're, they're all chicken out of that, too, because they're a bunch of wimps, all of them put together, okay? Because if they if they uh, were the man that they should have been, they would not have done what they did to, to an organization like the Cosmos. Um, they stole from us. They tried to buy us out back in December 2016 and put us to pasture. And uh, they didn't succeed in that, so they need to go the next step and destroy our league. Well, they have a they have a long battle ahead of them. It sounds like you're not you're not giving up anytime soon. So that's good. I don't, I don't think I sound like the one that's going to give up, right? No, not at all. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. Thank you to Rocco Camiso for coming back on the show to layer on even more information to his happenings with U.S. soccer. I don't know how else to describe that. It's just a super unfortunate situation that there's people that want into U.S. soccer. There's people that want into professional soccer. And U.S. soccer is just slamming the door in people's faces. I don't understand it. But we will continue to bring you more about Rocco's story and other stories from uh, the American soccer landscape here on this podcast. What funds this podcast and keeps this podcast going, though, is our coaching education program. So the 343 Coaching Education Program. And I want to share a little uh, audio clip of Tom Byers' experience with our coaching education program. So here's Tom. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how to, how to develop, um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. You can learn more about that course that Tom is actually talking about by visiting 343coaching.com. And while you're there, you can find all of the benefits of becoming a 343 coaching member. You can find more episodes of the podcast. You can find the previous episode with Rocco and all sorts of other interviews and all kinds of fun stuff on 343coaching.com. All right. Thanks for listening. We will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast.